What's up? I don't think you're here yet. I am here. Mm. It's like a like a Halloween surprise right there. <laughs> I was in the middle of a sip. You were being so quiet. <laughs> Trick or treat. Are you ready for Halloween? Halloween. You know, Halloween is one of those holidays that for some reason we just don't get too terribly excited about. Do you not dress up in costumes? Your kids don't go trick-or-treating? They don't. Trunk-or-treating? Nothing? Trunk-or-treating? Trunk-or-treat? No, we don't really do any of that. I don't really know why. Oh. It's never struck us as a holiday we should really get super excited about. It's one that I don't fully understand. I mean, I I think the more you think about it, the less it makes sense. You just have to go with it. Right. That's the kind of holiday it is. Go Halloween! Candy and costumes and being scared sometimes. Let me dress up silly. Yeah. Hope somebody scares me. Yeah. And give me candy that will make me sick. I don't like dressing up and I don't like eating candy, but I do like giving out candy. It's kind of sweet. Yeah. When you live in a neighborhood where all the kids come by and you get to pass out stuff. And this will be the first year I can't do that. There's definitely no one coming to my house. I live in way too <laughs> enclosed of an environment for people to make it up to my front door. But you're just wasting the privilege. Do you have neighbors around that you could trick or treat with? With? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, on our street, there are a lot of little kids and there are a lot of middle schoolers too that go still go trick or treating and they like to continue ringing doorbells even after all lights are off. That's frustrating. Do you guys give out candy? We try to. Yeah. Okay, good. We, we typically have quite a bit that we'll give out, but it's really fun to see the little kids that are dressed up, but it also drives our dog crazy because the doorbell. Yeah, that's a bad part. Okay, so you're not you're not being a jerk about it. I'm not trying to. No, <laughs> you will personally abstain from Halloween, but you're not gonna like pretend like no one's home and deprive the the sweet sweet kids coming to your door of a Reese's cup. Yes. So we will. You know, like the plan this year is likely to order in pizza and have candy, and we will give out candy until. Who knows what time until we either run out or there's a set time when we have to stop in order to do dinner, get the girls ready for bed, go to bed, you know, all the stuffs. And whenever we hit that line, we'll turn off the lights and let them continue ringing the doorbell for a good 30 minutes before it quits. (laughs) Probably go downstairs, watch a movie with the girls and put them to bed. That's likely what our evening's going to look like. How about pumpkin carving? No pumpkin carving? We did pumpkin painting already. Okay, so you're not you're not as uninto Halloween as you were giving me at the beginning. Maybe not. It's it's more the participating in dressing up and walking down a street. That's the part that we tend to just completely ignore or just not participate in. That's fine. We're going to get to a point sooner or later where we realize that candy is really, really terrible for kids anyways. So that's going to have to die out a little bit, I would assume. Yep. I'm hoping that other people realize how bad this is because I know that with our girls, if we give it to them, they kind of go crazy. But... It's not so much that they won't go to sleep at night, but I can definitely tell they have a different mannerisms and a different mood entirely, which is not always a positive thing. Yeah, I can understand that. Okay, so no costumes, no major candy overload, but pumpkin painting and the receiving of children to your door. So, I mean, you got like 50% of Halloween there. I'll see. There you go. Yeah. Do you guys do these things? We need to figure out what our Halloween plans are this year since we're this is our first time being in California for Halloween. So we'll figure something out. I heard there's a place nearby that has a big Halloween festival and a little haunted house that you can go through and pumpkin carving and what do they call it? It's a zombie paintball hayride. Have you heard of those? I have. I've been on one. Okay. How was that? (laughs) It was more entertaining than trying to be scared, I'll say. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it gives you something to do. (laughs) Right. Right. The entire time, to be sure. Take some pot shots at some poor teenagers or college students trying to make a few bucks. I'm hoping they got paid well. I'm I'm hoping. (laughs) I don't don't think they got paid well. (laughs) I don't think so either, (laughs) but still. Yeah. I don't think that's how it works. So in the time between the last time I spoke to you and today, Mm -hmm. I want to know how paper is going for you. Really well. Really? I'm not sure I'm going to give it up. (laughs) Good to know. It's continued to be an interesting experiment that's turning into a a permanent way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And you and I talked about it fairly extensively last time. And it led to a lot of conversation, specifically on the Productivity Guild, and via email and some people on Twitter. Apparently, this was something bigger than I really thought. I mean, I knew people would be interested in this concept, but 
I can't say that I was expecting near that type of a response. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of exciting to see what people were interested in. And at the same time, I was also shocked by the number of people who were saying, yeah, me too. This is exactly what I've been doing. This is awesome. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm late to the bandwagon. I don't know. But I know that for me, from a mindset standpoint, it's, it's had some weird clarity coming with it. I had two clients that I was doing some video calls with, potential clients. They're not existing, but they wanted me to quote them and give them invoices to get started, et cetera, et cetera. And whenever I do those, when I'm trying to figure out what all the specs are, I've just been grabbing my notebook and recording all my notes in that. Hmm. And there's something freeing about putting it in there and then knowing that I can transfer things just to a different section of that same notebook to get my task list in order. It's really freeing to be able to do that. And I know that's like, it's weird because that's the same thing I was doing in OmniFocus, but it feels drastically different. And I can't quite nail down why. <laughs> like, I, I can put theories on it, but I, I don't fully have it flushed out yet. What's your prevailing theory on what, that, what the difference is? I've got kind of two. One is that it, it's got me away from the screens, the little bit of respite, if you will, from a computer in order to take my notes on paper and then getting that in such a place that I can do some creative thinking about it. I'm not tied into a specific structure. And then I can come back to the computer to do the work. So the computer becomes a tool instead of a place to be. Mm -hmm. The other is simply freedom. Like I can do whatever I want on paper. And there are times when I've sketched things in a grid. There are times when I've just made raw lists. I wrote a whole list down earlier because I just couldn't stop thinking about it for a project that I'm likely going to lose. So <laughs> it's like, okay, I have an issue here because this is something that I don't think I'm going to win this contract. I don't think I'm going to win this client, but my brain won't stop thinking through the solutions to their problems. So that if I won the contract, I would then have a game plan to run forward with. So I, I couldn't let it go, but being able to just write it down in a, like a project support area in my notebook freed my brain up from all of that. And I don't have to keep that in the back of my mind. Like Even though I may not actually ever move that forward, it's definitely a someday maybe most likely not <laughs> category, and yet I can't let it go until I solve all the problems in a list. So I, I like having that freedom. So yes, I'm, I'm becoming more and more firmly rooted in the analog world. Paper allows for a messiness that I think tech doesn't allow for or like an app won't allow for. Right. It's sort of, to me, what, what it makes me think of is I remember when iOS 7 came out, I remember going back to an iOS 6 device and I did have this really overwhelming feeling that all of the Chrome was getting in the way because when they had flattened everything out, there was more room for the content. And, oh, God, the content. You said it. I meant that in the – You <laughs> said it. I said a dirty word. You really did it now, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> I can never say it anymore. That to me was not a pejorative way of using it, but uh, it just always feels a little icky now. Anyways, what I meant is I remember looking at an old Safari window in iOS 6 and feeling like, oh, my gosh, there is just so much Chrome that doesn't exist anymore. Because, you know, now when you're on an iPhone and you scroll up, the whole navigation bar scrolls away and the stuff on the bottom goes away. And that all used to be there. And I remember thinking I am now used to it without this Chrome. And that Chrome feels really cumbersome and heavy. And it almost is like weighing on me, which is a weird thing to believe, but it's sort of the difference between when I would use an old Windows mobile phone versus an iPhone. It just felt like I could do more, even though I was accessing the same internet, but it was faster and more responsive and I just had more control over it. And I think in the same way, there is something about paper that allows for you to have less in your way. So it allows you to just do a bit more. And I don't know how you used OmniFocus. I'm sure you used it exceedingly well. But I know that the amount of things that it sometimes not requires of you, but sort of expects of you can get in the way of you just putting down the things that you want to record, which paper allows for. Take the example I just used with the project that I'm likely not going to actually <laughs> go through with. If I wanted to do that in OmniFocus, which is not something I have ever thought to do in OmniFocus, which is really strange. I mean, the, the creativity of how you can use it 
seems to explode when you go analog. But if I had wanted to do that in OmniFocus, it would have required me to create a folder to hold on to these in some form and make sure it's on hold so it's not an active project and doesn't clutter up my actual lists and then create the project within it and then go through a process of spelling out all the details, typing in the list and subgrouping them and blah, 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 blah. Like I would have had to go through that process. And I did some quick calculations on it just out of curiosity on this particular one because it, it kind of shocked me that I was using analog in a way that was way beyond what I was using in OmniFocus. So I, I figured out that if I had done that same process in OmniFocus to the extent that I did it on paper, it would have taken me about seven to ten minutes to do it. Right. Which really, you know, for some of my project planning, that's really not a whole lot. It's a pretty insignificant amount of time compared to what I normally do on something I know is going to move forward. But whenever I did it on paper, it was about two minutes. So there's quite a disconnect in time with that. And the other thing, too, is if I find something else that I'm going to do on paper, it would have that again in OmniFocus. And then you, you continue to compound this, and over time, OmniFocus gets to be this unwieldy tool that has a ton of things in it, and it's hard to know where to put what at some level. And I, I don't know that I had reached that peak where it was too much, but at the same time, I do find it fascinating that the creativity of using analog tools has vastly surpassed what I was doing in OmniFocus and has kind of freed up my thinking to the point that I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it has alleviated a little bit of stress for me which, again, I was not expecting. I definitely can relate with that concept. One of the things that I've always felt a bit frustrated with is trying to create some sort of hierarchy in my to-do system of choice. It's actually one of the things that I always find the most refreshing from switching from one to-do app to another is being able to kind of rethink the entire structure of how I'm doing things. But Whenever you create a new task, you have to figure out where it goes, and then that means that you have to put it in a project, and the project's probably in a folder, and that kind of stuff is taking up some of your time. So when you have some fresh idea that you want to work on, it can feel cumbersome or frustrating to have to think first about where that thing is going. And I totally get why that would be less stressful for you to just be able to put it on a piece of paper. Last time you said you were keeping a few things on your computer or on your phone. Yep, I still keep a digital calendar, actually a number of them. And you said that you were concerned about the fact that you were going to need to carry multiple notebooks at some point, right? Yeah, the, so here's the thing. Like I have, I have a lot of lists that are just random, like gift lists for my wife. Like that's the classic of my wife mentions there's, there's a thing she wants for the kitchen. She's quite the cook. So that's something I want to write down because it likely is not something I'm going to think about later when Christmas time or a birthday rolls around. So I, I tend to want to keep those lists. And if I was writing those all out on paper, every time I got a new notebook, I would have to transfer literally thousands of these line items over to a new notebook. And that does not sound fun to me at all. So I I did decide to move that all over to digital and keep that on the digital space simply so that there's not the constant carrying over. So I, in Ulysses, created a group someday maybe, and then I just have a separate sheet in each one of those for each one of those lists, and I just keep it all there. And that seems to work just fine. Uh, I think the other thing, the other thing I'm keeping in, again, in Ulysses is checklists, because I'll often have like a packing list or if I'm editing a podcast and releasing it, I have very detailed line items that I'll go through to make sure I don't forget something in that process. And I keep those in Ulysses as well, just because there's no point in me copying those over every time. So I think that's the point is if it's something that I'm going to write down and it's going to repeat at a, a given interval or it's something that needs really long term storage, that's those two pieces I'm keeping in currently in Ulysses, but I'm keeping them in the digital world. Mm. And anything that is moving within the day or moving within the week, like my projects and my tasks lists, those two in particular I'm keeping on paper. So I think I've started to make that delineation between the two. Do you have some sort of inbox of just random tasks that you need to get done, sometimes soon and sometimes whenever? Yeah, I keep a lot of different inboxes. Like I use the inbox in Ulysses. I keep note cards in my back pocket and I write things on that quite a bit. I also use drafts heavily. 
and I, I'm always writing things down into that. And it just kind of depends. Sometimes I'll transfer those over to Ulysses. Sometimes I'll transfer those into my notebooks. It just kind of depends. But if it's if it's just a one-off task, I will put it on my my context list in paper. I just don't assign it to a project in that form. So paper's good. Paper's good for you. So far, it's it's actually to the point where I'm considering changing some of my recommendations to people on how you learn about yourself because using paper, you already know how to use it. You just need a very light structure to think about to get you going on task management with it. And you can learn a lot about what you actually want in a task manager and you can transfer it to digital later if you want. But I've been coaching people that are just getting into task management to start with paper. Do what you want with that. Because I, I think the reason that I, I want to make that recommendation is that found that using paper teaches me a ton about how I want to work and how I need to think about my projects and my tasks. Like I, I even have, you know, we talked about my notebook a, a decent amount last time, but another piece of that is that I do have a pretty good sized whiteboard in my office. I don't remember if I mentioned this last time or not, and I've been using that as like a project level management system. That has been super helpful as well because then you can visually see where everything is when I have it scheduled. What I'm getting at is that I like that the analog tools have taught me a lot about how I want to see things because I'm not restricted to a given structure and now that I've seen that, I mean, I can see how some digital tools could fit some of that. I would probably change what I'm using as a result. But at the same time, paper works. I don't know that I will just because, yeah, it works and I am not tied to anything specific and it hasn't really caused me any issues whatsoever. So why? I think I've told you this before too, but my house is lined with these big windows, which is excellent. And I use them all the time to dream about something or plan something out. I'm pretty okay with using task lists online. In fact, I found that I always have preferred that to an analog list, but I have never been able to get into like mind mapping software where you like make a little web of different stuff. That's what that is, right? Yes. Yeah. It's like mind node, mind manager. Yeah. I've never been able to figure those out, but I've needed to use something like that, do some sort of mind map lately. And man, doing that on an analog way just is the best. It's really easy and intuitive and I'll take a whole window and I can totally see how analog stuff is just better in some cases for some people. And I think that's the thing, right? It's just every single brain is different. So every single brain might function differently. And any app that has been developed to solve something like mind mapping or task management is just a reflection of the person's mind who developed that software. And your way of doing things might be different than their way of doing things. So you can learn a lot about the way that your mind works and the way that you process information by just getting it all out on paper first. And then you might find an app that works just like that, that you can sort of start transferring some of that information over to. Or you just keep an analog. Or you can just keep it analog. I was going to ask you, are you trying to preserve these notes? Like, are you going to scan them in or take pictures of them or anything like that? I'm probably just going to hold on to the notebooks Mm -hmm. and just put them on a shelf somewhere. And if I don't pick them up in a year's time, I'll probably toss them. I'm not a high input. I don't feel the need to hold on to data for an extended amount of time. I know that it has a shelf life (laughs) and it will eventually expire, so it's not worth holding around. I mean, it's kind of a fun you know, memories sort of thing at some level, but I'm probably just going to trash them at some point. (laughs) Especially if a lot of them are just daily tasks and stuff for projects that you're currently working on. Right. Like there's, there's no point in me holding on to notes for a, from a client about a thing we're going to do and it's been done for a year. Like I'm not, I'm not going to go back to that. Would you do that for writing? I write a fair amount for uh, the productivity guild Not as much as I would like, but whenever I write the original piece for that, I will write that on paper. Any articles that I write for online, I've been writing those by hand for about a year and a half now, and that has served me quite well. I've found that I'm more creative and I have better thoughts when I write it by hand. But it's something that I have learned a lot through, and that actually might be what has led me to going task management on paper. And it's something that I again, find a lot of value in. But yes, whenever I do original articles, I will write those on paper. But whenever it's like just a reply to a post or something, 
you know, or emails and such, you know, anything short form in any way and doesn't need the creativity aspect of it. Yeah, those are all just on the keyboard. That makes sense. The reaction has been positive too, I assume. You're finding a lot of people who are feeling the same way as you. I am finding a lot of people who have done this for a couple years now and highly recommend it. And they wonder why I didn't try it sooner. Like, well, it didn't occur to me to try it sooner. And frankly, OmniFocus is paid for itself time and time again with the courses and such I've built off of it. So I've never even considered anything else. Right. So it's a thing I haven't even thought about. But yeah, I've found a lot of people that have been doing it. A lot of people are interested in trying it. There are a handful of people that are now trying it because of the talk you and I had last week, I found out. So yeah, it's it's kind of fun to see what other people are doing. So I guess, you know, for the listeners, if you're hearing this and you've been down that path, let us know. I'm interested at least. Yeah, I want to hear as well. I'm one of those people who's currently rethinking a few of the things that I do. Um, I had realized a while ago that I was sort of overloading things with tasks because it is not OmniFocus. It is definitely meant to be kept a little more simple than anything else. Yeah. And it also has a very interesting structure for deadlines and due dates and things to be done today, which is why I, why I love it. I really appreciate the fact that it'll just push most overdue tasks to the next day because a lot of the things that I do are recurring and it's all on my timetable. So I don't necessarily want it to yell at me when I miss a due date because that was sort of irrelevant to begin with, if that makes sense. It's a little bit of fear-based motivation there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so there, there were just a few tasks that didn't really make sense to be in there. And what I really want to use things for is a lot of the recurring stuff that just has to get done. That is where I love something like putting out a podcast because I can set up a recurring things to do that has every single step in there and make sure that I know which ones to do. And then I check it off and it comes back two weeks later. So that, that, that kind of stuff is really, really great for things. But it's not as great for stuff like keeping writing topics or little things to be done around the house and that kind of stuff. Because I was noticing that those items I would put in things and they would just never get done right. because uh, there was no real need, no real need for them to get done. So I didn't really see them as anything that needed to get done. And I've been in the mode of keeping a little paper notebook on my desk and I just put those tasks there and I keep that page open all day and I have to see those items that need to be crossed off or checked off or iterated on. And that is a bit more of an encouragement. So I'm starting to kind of move some of these things that I want to do, but I don't need to do out of a digital to-do list that I have to open to see and onto a piece of paper that's physically in front of me at all times. That seems to be a better motivation. Yeah. So you're building kind of a hybrid system, which I did hear a lot of people do that. Like they keep their recurring checklists and such in a task manager, and then they keep their higher level creativity based projects and such on paper. Like I've seen a fair amount of people that are doing that with a, a lot of success. It sounds like you're starting to get towards that. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, I think so. I just have been realizing that I'm not the kind of person that is so run by a to do list that I need to like open it and check things off and make sure that it's all done. I'm more of a person that that really likes that reminder. And when I have something that's recurring, I love being able to just have that automatically doing the work for me. Like, for example, I have a few bills that I wish I could auto pay, but I just can't auto pay. I have to physically go and find the website and put in my information and all that kind of stuff. It's my water bill. And my water bill has three or four times over the past year accidentally been late because I just totally forget to pay it. That's not good, Drew. Yeah, I've never been close to getting my water shut off, but I have been uh, penalized with like that little 10% we're mad at you for not paying this on time. Please pay us 10% more yeah. fee. So I have that in things, and that's awesome because every month I see pay the water bill, and I even have it set a couple days before it's due, and I can always remember to do it that way. And so just any tasks like that that would slip my mind otherwise are awesome to have in things. And by the way, you mentioned a packing list. A packing list is one of my favorite reasons to have a to-do list because I've just kept this little template and things that has all of the stuff that I pack and my wife packs. And if we're taking a trip in a car, the stuff that my dog needs. 
and I just copy that template, put it in my task list, and I'm good to go. Instead of having to worry about writing out this massive checklist of all the stuff that we need for any trip. So that, that kind of stuff is excellent. But yeah, when I'm thinking of what do I want to do creatively today? Or what's something that needs to get done around the house that I'm probably not going to do if I am not reminded of it constantly? Uh, for example, I need to return some stuff to the store and that's been something I've known I've had to do for a couple weeks now. And it's not urgent, but it should get done. And I need to write that down and see it instead of letting it get stored away in a task manager somewhere. It's not simple to just go somewhere away from your house and do a thing that takes 30 seconds. Like, really? I have to get myself out of the house, drive all the way over there, do this thing for 30 seconds and then come back. Really? Yeah, it's no fun. It's no fun at all. I don't want to do that. Those tend to sit. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those things I think, oh, that'll probably fit perfectly in my schedule tomorrow, which is a total lie. It just sounds way better. <laughs> Your tomorrow self, of course, has time for it when today's self does not. Yeah, of course today is the wrong day and of course tomorrow is the right day. Yeah, that <laughs> is something I've probably subconsciously thought for a week straight now. Yep, I do that way more than I care to admit. <laughs> yeah. I'll just stop there on my way by and, well, I'm in a hurry today. I'll do it the next time I come by. And next thing I know, it's three weeks and I still haven't cashed that check. And then there's, uh, there's a, another part of my new task management slash writing workflow, which you'll be very happy to hear. I know that you've already heard, which is that I have finally seen the light and I finally understand how beautiful drafts is. That is now on my dock, on my phone, and on my iPad. You have no idea how happy this makes me. Well, can I tell you the weird thing? You want to know what made me see the light? Absolutely. Tell me all the things. The thing that made me see the light is keeping a big red badge on it. Okay, yeah. Do you use the badge? I do. It drives me nuts, and it means I have to do something with the things in it. See, I never really thought about the fact that drafts is an inbox. Like, I knew that that was true, but I think when I thought about drafts, I thought about it as like a place where you were putting text in for like a minute and then it was going immediately to the next space, which is, I guess, true sometimes, right? I've seen some workflows where you can like automatically make a contact. You would open up drafts and write in the contact information and then send it over to contacts or however that works. Or like writing out a to-do list that's going to go into your task manager. Yep. You would open up drafts and write the to-dos and then send them right over to your to-do list. But I never really thought about it as a place where you would keep text to kind of nag at you, which is something that I needed. And I didn't really think about the fact that that's one of the things that drafts really excels at. Is that what you use it for? It is literally an inbox that I, I throw things into... Because I, I either don't have time to deal with it right now or I'm not entirely sure what I want to do with it right now. A, a, a prime example of this is that, you know, the, the Productivity Guild, I, I've got a, the, another podcast with Josh Wrench, Theoretical Accountability. It's getting rebranded to the Productivity Guild podcast. And I kept having new taglines and, you know, little bits of text that I want to use in some of the new branding for that. And it, it just kept coming to my head and I needed to get it written down. But I don't have a formal place that I want that quite yet. It's just something that needs to – I just need to hold on to it because I'm not ready to do anything with it. And it probably won't be for a couple of days at this point as we record this one. And I just need that held there. At the same time, there are also points where you know I do IT work for our church. I'll be you know standing behind the sound booth and somebody comes up and says, hey, did you notice that this speaker is starting to flake out a little bit? Okay. I'll just drop that in drafts. Of course, I'm not going to go tear the ceiling down and replace a speaker in the middle of the service. That would be bad. So I, I write that down in, in drafts, or I'll write it on a note card and hold on to that for later. And what I do, because I have a set time, I have to build habits around this sort of thing. And I, I have set time in the morning to just look through all of those and then process them to where they need to go. If it needs to go digital, I usually have an action in drafts to send it there. Or I will manually copy it into my notebook and then delete it in drafts. But yeah, it's it's literally an inbox where I just store things and then I deal with it later. Yeah, and I think that there's something about notification badges that have just been so reprehensible to me that I automatically think about the fact that it needs to get turned off. I don't think I have any turned on for any app. I was just trying to look through my phone really quick to make sure that was true. I don't like them. I don't like the distraction of it. If I want to open an app, I want to open an app. Things 
just recently got it turned on. Okay. And now Drafts is the one that also has it turned on. And I have them sitting next to each other on my dock, bugging me with their red notification badges. You went a whole hog then. <laughs> yeah. But the, the notification badges are exactly why notification badges should exist in the first place. It shouldn't exist to tell me that there's an, an unread amount of email. It shouldn't exist to tell me that somebody liked my tweet on Twitter. It shouldn't exist to do any of that stuff. It should exist to notify me of something that I need to look at. And it's it's awesome. It's really, really helpful. Yeah, so I basically had sent my home screen to a friend to because we kind of always trade home screens back and forth. And he had sent me his and he had drafts. And I had mentioned that I've been trying to understand drafts for so long, but have not been able to. And I said something along the lines of, I really wish someone would just like teach me how to use drafts. Like I need someone to just let me understand how drafts works for them. And then he texted me back with like four or five videos of him doing different stuff in drafts. And there was something about just seeing that and seeing that little red badge tick up every single time that he created something new that was sitting there, not getting sent away, that really made it click for me. And as we were doing this, I was on my way to the gym. I typically go to the gym every morning around 8 a.m. And my kind of routine there is I go to the gym and I work out and I listen to a podcast. And every once in a while, I'm listening to a podcast, which is very inspiring. This one, by the way, was our person I've talked about a few times now, Jocelyn Gly, right? who was the really cool writer of that awesome article on, I think she called it White Space. She has a new podcast called Hurry Slowly, which is excellent. And she's kind of bringing in people who are thinking deeply about the act of slowing down while at the same time being productive. And it's great. I was listening to her latest episode. And I just wanted to keep taking notes. And as I was thinking about the things that they were talking about, I started having this idea for a blog post forming in my mind as they were talking about this subject. And I started writing it down in drafts. And by the end of the day, that had transformed from a 10-word draft to a 700-word article. And it was because of that dumb little notification badge <laughs> reminding me constantly yep. that I had something that I was working on. And that was awesome. I had never really had that before because I had noticed that I use an inbox system in Ulysses, but that has become a graveyard for half-thought-out ideas where I'll write something down. And it'll be an interesting premise and I'll just never really come back to it. And I'll think about, oh, yeah, I could work on that, but I'll have a new idea and I'll work on that instead. And it was the same thing in things. Like I just said, I would write a link in things to something that I was listening to and write down some little snippet of an idea, but it never felt urgent enough that I needed to go back and work on it. And drafts just fit that bill perfectly. And man, I mean, it was like an instantaneous response of me going from oh, I finally understand drafts to it really like coming through for me and helping me get some writing done that I don't know if I would have otherwise completed. Do you ever use the dictation feature? I do on occasion, yeah. That's usually if I'm walking somewhere or I've got something in one hand. That's about the only time I ever really use it. The dictation feature is pretty neat because not only can you do it from that little 3D touch or uh, today center widget, but it also works as an Apple Watch complication. So at any point, I can just look down on my Apple Watch and click the drafts logo and start dictating an idea that'll go into my inbox, which is pretty useful. I'm very excited about using that more and more as time goes on. I had mentioned a while ago how it didn't even live long enough to go from one podcast to the next. But I had mentioned a while ago that I had discovered, oh, I don't really think it has a name, Notes in Control Center how you can kind of create a little notes widget in Control Center and, and use that. Oh, right, right. And I had thought, wow, this is actually perfect. This is really kind of my own version of drafts because I didn't realize until recently that you could set it up in settings so that every single time that you click that button in the Control Center, it'll bring you to the same note, which is really nice. So you can kind of set up this scratch pad of things that you just need to, to see and check in on. But again, there's something about that red badge, that dumb red badge in drafts <laughs> that just elevates it to the next level for me. So as good as that feature was, and I still think it's an incredible feature, drafts is definitely my new go-to inbox. So I don't know 
I would love to check to see how long ago it was that I downloaded drafts. I mean, it was early on. Yeah. So man, that how whatever how mu- however much drafts happen to cost five bucks or seven bucks or whatever is finally paying off years <laughs> later, and I'm pretty happy about it. It makes me happy because I know you and I talked about we've talked about drafts a few times. I think. Oh yes, we have. It's it's one that you've wanted to work and it never has. I really wanted it to work. <laughs> I know. I kept trying. I kept trying over and over again, but I didn't understand the the appeal of the red badge. Because every time that they would say, would you like us to send notifications? I would say, of course not. And I would turn that badge off. But now it's on and glaring at me as we speak. So I'll have to keep working at it and thinking about how it fits into my life. But yeah, it's going to be staying on my dock. My whole dock actually went through a big change because not only do I have drafts down there now, but I removed Overcast and I replaced it with Pocket Cast just because it had a few functionality things that I kind of needed from it, including the ability to play in my home sound system. And then I also took out Twitter, which has been a long-standing part of my dock for a good, good while, and replaced it with Reader. And I'm trying to get back into RSS after a long time of not really using it. Do you use RSS at all? I do, but I, I have found that I like to find... RSS feeds that typically are curated lists, I guess, Mm -hmm. where it's either from a person who is good at finding obscure sources. Like maybe Kotki? Certainly, exactly like that. So this this is the type of thing I try to find. I'm not very good at it, but I like to find sources that aren't... You know, The Guardian, New York Times. Right. You know, I I try to find things that are a little more unique, which is why I was super excited about finding Jocelyn Gly, because I I like what she's doing. And I want to read everything she writes right now. (laughs) So that, that makes me excited. You know, a while ago, we talked about this on the show, how I had whittled my Twitter following list down from hundreds of people to 100 people. And as time has gone on, I have sort of been whittling it down even further than that. I still follow 100 people, but I am really reading from a list of only a a handful of people. Um, The reason that I continue to follow around 100 is because I really love using the search functionality of searching the people I follow on Twitter. I just don't want to spend a lot of time reading through tweets. Part of it is because a lot of it has become pretty... um, Pretty sad. Yep. <laughs> it isn't. Yep. It isn't the happy place that it once was. And part of it too is just because it's it's just a really easy way to constantly distract yourself with new information. So I'm trying to get out of the habit of opening that up, which can be a bottomless pit of content. And I do mean content there, uh, <laughs> and and changing that over to a more curated and like lovingly crafted list of people that I really respect that I know is going to be limited. And RSS works great for that. Again, same thing. I am not following any major news organization. I'm not really following anyone that would end up putting out more than one thing a day. Right. And if I check it in the middle of the day, which I've started doing instead of checking Twitter. I might have three or four things to look at instead of 300 tweets. And that has been a lot, lot better for me. So, yeah, it's an interesting change. And it's funny because it's one of these weird cyclical changes, isn't it? I remember moving away from RSS to Twitter years and years ago. I was one of the first people that did that. People kept asking after Google Reader died, where are you reading RSS now? And my answer would always be Twitter. I'm reading everything on Twitter. I just follow all of these organizations on Twitter now and I get all the information here. It's great. But somewhere along the way, it became not so great. And I'm uh, I'm trying to figure out how to bring a little bit of control back in my life. And Reader has been pretty good for that. Pretty funny that it's still Reader too, R-E-E-D-E-R, which is one of the first RSS reader apps that really came out for the iPhone that people loved and still seems to be one of the only ones that's being actively developed in an interesting way that's not kind of all around ads. So yeah, I'm back where I started, I guess, and I'm not too upset about it. Nice. Yeah, I've been using Feedly. That's primarily because when the whole Google Reader thing fell apart, that it was one of the ones that jumped up quickly and said, we'll fill the void. And I was, okay, well, this is the only one that seems to be around doing anything remotely close to what I wanted to do. So I I went for it, and I have been using that nonstop almost ever since. I, I kid you not, though, this past week I was looking at Reader debating whether or not I should make that shift because I've been doing more with RSS. But I'm the same way. 
I've been trying to curate that down to a, a very small list and using that in place of Twitter and Instagram. Because it seems like a lot of organizations on Twitter, they're posting their stuff, but it's also a place where people tend to complain about you name whatever the thing is they want to be upset about. And it, it just seems to have a lot of that. So you, yes, you get the articles, but you, you kind of have to filter out a bunch of stuff in a lot of cases. And I just don't like doing that. So that's where I, I stuck with RSS quite a bit. I, I mean, I kind of deviated from it a little bit, but at the same time, I am coming back to it. I guess the question for you is, you know, if you're using Reader, are you using some form of a Read It Later service? Because I, I know I tend to, I leverage Instapaper pretty heavily. As a result, it's just Feedly kind of becomes a triage system, which I think is kind of a popular thing to do. Is that something that you do or do you just read it right there? No, I just use Reader to read it right there because I think that if I'm really, and you know what, this might end up being something where drafts once again comes into play <laughs> if it's something that i really like want to want to spend time on it's because i want to write about it or i want to think about it how it impacts me personally and if it doesn't do that i'm not the kind of person that oh i need to i need to save this for later like i opened reader in this moment to read something so i'm just going to read it now i am pretty happy with just using reader to do it and i am using feedbin in the background to sync everything from place to place, which I used because a friend recommended it and it was, I think, five bucks a month. And I kind of gave them that five bucks just to incentivize myself to actually use RSS <laughs> because I think twice in the past year or so, I had started like a trial or like used Feedly for a little bit and I never committed to the idea. And then I thought, well, if I plunk down five bucks, that's just the mental incentive I need to actually like give this a go. This this is all stuff that I'm doing because, you know, you and I, it's funny, we seem to be kind of on the same journey going about it in very different ways, which is both of us, if I can say this for both of us, I hope I can, are sort of on an ongoing journey to get ourselves away from the screen when that screen is not producing a whole lot of purpose for us. And I mean that for you in the sense that, you know, you're seeing, oh, when I'm at a computer, I want to be working at a computer. I don't want to be creating a task list on the computer. I want to do that on a piece of paper. And for me, I'm thinking in a kind of similar vein, when I'm on a computer, I want to be creating something on a computer. I don't want to be mindlessly entertaining myself or doing something that feels distracting. And so in that sense, you know, it just is good to kind of change the way that I think about using my phone, using my iPad and change the habits that have been building up over a series of years and are in a, in a serious way, very addictive. I just think that it's time for a change in my life and it's been, it's been pretty good so far. I, I tend to want to try to use like the phone and the Mac as a tool. Like you mentioned that, but like it's a progression that you're always on, I think, because there's always a new way to use it. There's always a new way to <laughs> to blow time on it. And it's something that I know, you know, there's all kinds of studies that link negative outcomes to extended screen time. Like we, we know this, it's not something that's a surprise. Right. But at the same time, these things are cool. There's lots of neat things you can do with them. The question is, how much should you do on them? And I guess that's what I'm working through it's a thing that I know and am very aware of. I just want to know where that line is for me, which is why I tend to use my Mac more than my phone and don't even have an iPad. Mm -hmm. like it's a tool that I need to use. And if I'm going to use a tool, I want it to be powerful. And I, I, I tend to not want something that I'm just going to play around with and blow time with because there are other things I would rather do with that time. And I will say, like, it, it comes across as I, I am working all the time. I'm never blowing time. Like, it, it can come across that way. I'm far from that. <laughs> so it, it's not something like I don't have this perfect day by any means. I tend to lose time here and there goofing on things and like, wait, I just lost 20 minutes on YouTube. How did I do that? Like, that's, you know, that <laughs> happens. But it, it's something that I'd, I'd want to make happen less and less, I guess, is the way I would say it. Did you happen to see this article that The Guardian, I'm linking it to you right now, wrote up on all of these Google and Twitter and Facebook employees kind of speaking out against the addictive nature of the internet as a whole? Yeah, like our minds can be hijacked or something yeah. along those lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that kind of made some of the rounds in some of my inner circles because a lot of folks were interested in that. Well, this is not new. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely a great point. What do you think about it, though? Well, I think it's spot on, and it's something that you really have to stop and be serious with it because if the people who are building this, the people who create these tools, 
are separating from them, you know, that's the opposite of the classic. You know, if you build a tool, make sure you use it every day. Yeah, you want to be dog fooding it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like if I build a website or if I build a service, I want to make sure that's a thing that I use every single day of the week. And if I'm not using it every single day of the week, it's not going to be a top-notch product and it's not going to have the nuance and the subtleties about it that are required to create a quality product. And if if you take the inverse of that and you have a group of people who are creating a top-notch product, they're super excited about it. They're going to town. They're going to make this thing so amazing. And then they're walking away from it. What what just happened? Like, that's not real, is it? Like, that's the way I tend to look at it. Mm-hmm. And if they're realizing that so much of this is built to addict you and steal a lot of attention for their product versus what you should be doing, then maybe we should stop and think about that. Like, that's, that's that was the impression I got from it. Yeah, and I think that's the same way that I feel about it. In a sense, I I don't really think that any of this is new. I don't think that we should be surprised by any of this. And I don't think that there's a need for some kind of crazy alarmism about it. You know, I've I've seen that a lot where people say, this is going to be the end of everything, you yeah. know? Or yeah. like, this has completely reduced the way that humans interact. and. I found a great podcast recently called like The Pessimists or something. I'll have to find it. That um, is going through history of technology and showing all the times when we have reacted to new technology by saying that this is the end of civilization as we know it. (laughs) One of the times in recent history that they brought up was when the Walkman was first introduced. And there were all these news stories about how terrible the Walkman was and how no one was going to speak to each other anymore. And how some cities even banned use of them in public because they thought it was so reprehensible. And obviously, we have managed to move forward from Walkmans and civilization has continued forward. So I'm not that kind of person who sees all of this and thinks this is the end of it all. But I am somebody who sees that this is a major distraction and that this is something that is taking up more of my time than I'm comfortable with or I would just prefer. And I think that the less we really consider that, the more likely we are to be susceptible to it. And that's what I'm afraid of, I think. So it's interesting when I see conversations like this come up, because to me, it just shows that we are thinking of this as a whole. Like we are all on the same wavelength of considering, oh, wait, is this good for us? Do I like what I'm doing? And yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting question to consider. And at the end of the day, what I think I've realized is that I love social networks like Twitter and Instagram because of the way that it can create community. There's a few people that I know here in Reading that have jobs that take them all over the country or really all over the world. And I follow their Instagram stories and we chat back and forth that way. And then they come into town and we catch up and then they go again. And Instagram stories is like actually a weird big part of our relationship. And I think that's really awesome that an app can do that. And the same thing on Twitter. I mean, you and I would not be talking today if it weren't for Twitter. So that's incredible. Go Twitter. Yeah, go Twitter in that in that, in that very, very <laughs> specific sense. Go Twitter. Because it allows people to connect over ideas that they would not have otherwise been able to find themselves through. And that can be bad just as much as it can be good. And I don't want to forget the good when I'm focusing on the bad. But I also don't want to sweep the bad under the rug. Look, if I'm going to use these networks, I better be satisfied with my day at the end of it. And sometimes I think I give too much of my time to distraction and social networking and looking into other people's lives. I look back at the day at the end of it and say, oh, that was sort of a waste. And I just don't want to do that. And that is something that I am completely capable of choosing for myself. Yeah, I just I want to be more cognizant of that fact. And I think I am becoming more cognizant of that fact just by the very nature of making a few changes to limit my behavior. I think I became aware of this particular topic. It was probably about a year ago now. And I noticed that when I get up in the morning, for a long time I had this habit of checking Twitter first thing when I got up. Not a good thing to do. I mean, we know this now. You know, First thing you should do in the morning is probably not jump on your phone. Like That's not an uncommon thing to hear about. But I was doing it, and I was jumping on Twitter right away. And I found that on occasion... I would be late, I would be hustling, I had something else I wanted to do that morning, and I wouldn't check Twitter. And I noticed a difference in how I felt in the morning 
depending on whether or not I had checked Twitter first thing or not. And when I realized there was a difference between my mindset that was connected to that, it was a real eye-opener. It's like, okay, well, why is this? Why is it that I open Twitter in the morning and I'm frustrated and somewhat angry sometimes whenever the day starts? And why is it that the days that I don't check Twitter, those days always go better and I get more done? Why is that? And stopping to ask that question, one, is hard to do. Two, it's hard to even know to ask that question. And three, once you do ask that question, the answer is sometimes not something you want to know. <laughs> like That's not necessarily a thing I, I would like to know about myself. And yet, having realized that, I noticed that checking Twitter in the morning is a terrible thing for me to do. There's just enough negativity out there that it sets your day off wrong, at least for me. And I don't want to start my day that way. So I'm not going to do it. So I avoid Twitter in the morning. And I think that it has led me to the point of knowing that technology is great. The screens are fun and you can do a lot of cool things on it. I mean, my whole business is built on the Internet. <laughs> so like I'm not going to badmouth it in its entirety ever. And yet I know there are definitely limits that, that I need to put in place to where I should and shouldn't be using it. And that's something I would recommend for anybody. I mean, knowing where you should or shouldn't use it is not an easy line to find, and yet there's a lot of value in finding it. This makes me think of the fact that Walter Isaacson just came out with a biography on Leonardo da Vinci. Did you hear about that? No, I haven't. Yeah, you know, he wrote the Steve Jobs biography. He wrote the Benjamin Franklin biography, which is one of my favorite probably my favorite biography I've ever read. And he did a podcast with Tim Ferriss recently talking about the fact that Leonardo da Vinci had these pretty exceptional behaviors, which really made him the creative person that he is. And Austin Cleon, the guy who wrote Steal Like an Artist, uh, did a little comic because he's been drawing comics on Twitter recently of this premise. And it's two characters talking to each other. I just sent it to you right now. And one of them says, Da Vinci woke up in the morning and made a list of what he wanted to learn. And the other person says, you wake up and check news on your phone. <laughs> there was something about that kind of succinct reality that I thought was a great point. Very fair point. Yeah. And I mean, I am absolutely the same way. And this is, this, this is, I think, what I'm trying to say is I don't have any desire to like delete my Twitter account and never log on again because it has brought so much benefit to my life. But... I also have to recognize when it's bringing benefit to my life and when it's not bringing benefit to my life. And I very, very, very much believe that it is going to be a rare thing that I wake up in the morning and I have to check Twitter because it's going to do something amazing for me. More often than not, it's going to distract me for a few minutes and sometimes it's going to make me sad. This is the reality, right? And I think that as people who are trying to figure out like how to make the world work for us and how to make networks work for us and how to be the best possible individuals, this is all just good stuff that I know I'm trying to incorporate into my life. And I think that you probably feel the same way. This doesn't mean that today I have had no distraction and that I have taken no time <laughs> off and that I've just been on this creative frenzy since, you know, 7 a.m., but it does mean that my day has been better, and I am really thankful for anything in my life that will do that for me. I think we all want that. I think it's the the allure of the alternative for some reason that even though we know we feel not as good when we do the alternative, we're still not inclined to do the positive thing of getting outside, go for a walk in the woods. Like those types of things are not are not necessarily what we're in today's world that we naturally gravitate towards. Some people do. I know there are a lot of folks that that is absolutely the first thing they want to do every single day, and kudos to them. I wish <laughs> I had the ability to just go out and do that every single day, every morning, first thing. Like, I wish I could go do that. I, I just have too much stuff going on, and that's the thing that I'm fighting right now. Like, if I want that level of absence, if I want that level of clarity, it's, one, something I need to prioritize. I need to make the time for it instead of saying that I'm going to do it and just try harder. Like, that stuff doesn't work. No. But at the same time, like, it's, there's a lot going on. I have too many things I've committed to, so it's going to be difficult for me to get to that level. And that's part of what I've kind of got as a goal for the remainder of the year is getting myself to a point where that is more common in my day and week. I'm going to get there. I hope we all get there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll all get there sooner or later, maybe later than sooner. The world will be a better place.